Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Time Rewind Podcast. I am your host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm here as always with my friend, Michael Whitford. Hey, so excited to be here, ready to record. So today we're going to be talking about the Age of Legends. We've talked about this a little bit as far as like providing hints and name dropping it, but today we're going to get into what it actually means. But before we get into any of that stuff, we're going to do some housekeeping things here. So as always, if you have any comments for the shows, any questions, you can hit us up through email, which is wheelofTimerewind at gmail.com. Or if you're on social media, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at W-O-T Rewind. So Mike, as we jump into the Age of Legends here, why don't you give us an overview of what is the Age of Legends? Yeah, so this is actually a really important episode because we're going to be getting a glimpse into the history of um, this world. And it's so important in terms of like the myth, uh, the, the mythos, the mythology that's going on for these characters or for these events that are happening. So the Age of Legends is obviously an age, it's a period of time, and it's called the legend, like Age of Legends for a reason, and it's because they were in this very big, like golden age pretty much, very technologically advanced. When it's described in the books, it makes me think of like an advanced version of our society today, where people were going about and had all these great machines and things to help them. And on top of that, they had access to the one power. So they also had these crazy abilities that they were able to do. And so when you hear about Aes Sedai from the Age of Legends, in the books they compare them a lot. Like the Aes Sedai in present day versus the Aes Sedai in Age of Legends, the present day Aes Sedai couldn't hold a candle to the ones from the Age of Legends in terms of what they were able to do and their power level. Think about like Dragon Ball Z, like <laughs> you have, you know, Goku and they're like, oh, we can't read his power level. And then, you know, their little reader breaks. That's kind of like these present day Aes Sedai's um, viewing of the Aes Sedai from the Age of Legends. And on top of that, during that time, the male Aes Sedai weren't going crazy. And so you had male Aes Sedai and female Aes Sedai working together and creating these amazing advancements with the power as well. Now there's a lot more going into that. I just want to give you a moment, Dylan, to add on to and to add on to that. Um, what we're what we're going to be talking about with Age of Legends here is, like Mike said, the mythos, the mythology, the origin story, basically, of what we're going to be seeing on screen. So the Age of Legend Legends happened about. 3,000 plus years ago, and it's considered like a long and prosperous era with no war, no famine, um, people forgot the name of war, there was no poverty, very rare crime, money didn't matter, how your status and honor increased was through service to the community. In fact- Utopia. Yeah, it's basically like your standard utopian society here. But in fact, like Aes Sedai means servant to all in the old tongue. And they were actually governed by a body called the Hall of Servants. 
So, like, Aes Sedai back in the Age of Legends weren't necessarily outperforming, like, these battle magic and stuff like that. They were all about doing, like, commonplace occurrences only better through the use of the one power. And, like, several professions were almost exclusively used for Aes Sedai. They were healers because their healing is much more effective than, like, medicine and everything. Miners because... The male Aes Sedai were usually quite strong with earth, so they were able to kind of extract that metal, which would allow common folk to manipulate it and do all kinds of cool stuff with it. You also had farmers that were mostly Aes Sedai, because what would happen is the Aes Sedai could kind of use their weather manipulation paired with the Ogier, using their singing to help things grow, and it was just about maximum efficiency. And so people in the Age of Legends lived about 150 to 200 years if you were a non-power user. If you were an Aes Sedai or a power user, though, you were averaging around 700 years. So wow. it was pretty crazy. <laughs> so when you're talking about Age of Legends, it is this utopian society. Now... All of this is not necessarily going to be played out on screen here when we're watching season one of Wheel of Time on Amazon here. But it's kind of cool to think about and give you some insight into what has been and what everyone's kind of fighting for again. Because a lot of what was done during the Age of Legends was lost to time, lost to memory. So people had these advanced technologies with refrigerators, with birth control, with light bulbs, hologram phones, flying cars, but they don't have that anymore when you meet them on screen for the first time. They're riding around horses like Bella and just living that medieval fantasy life. Yeah, that makes me think of some clips in... um... The, actually, the book we both just finished reading, where um, one of the characters talked about reading about this this almost like medieval thing called swords, and then and now they're in this point where like that's what everyone uses. This they use swords. It, it brings a lot of questions about how things beyond. Um, I mean, just for me in general, because I haven't read. Uh, the book that you're currently reading, Dylan, but um, it adds in so much more depth and like a built world for these characters that you don't, you just get glimpses of in the book series. For sure. And like, uh, so Mike has meant, Mike just mentioned, uh, what I'm reading right now is actually a book called uh, The World of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time. And so what this is, is it's almost like an appendices to the main series where it's talking about the Age of Legends. It's talking about the history of this world Robert Jordan created. So I've never read this one before and it's very interesting so far. And although I do like Michael Kramer and um, what's her name? Uh, Kate Rudding, their audiobook uh, reading for the main series there. It is interesting to hear a new voice coming in telling me about Wheel of Time uh, with Paul Woodson, and he gives all new pronunciations to everything, Mike. So again, you're not the only one. (laughs) 
Um, some of the other cool things like I have found so far when reading through the Age of Legends chapter in this book here is that when the Age of Legends is kind of like winding down to like the close area here, you have Luce Theron Telemond, who we all know as the dragon. He was actually the equivalent of being the Amerlin at that point in time. Um, so he was what was referred to as first among servants. So just like now, there's the Amerlin and then there's the Hall of the Tower. Back in the Age of Legends, they still had their own governing body, which was the Hall of Servants, with the first among servants being their kind of uh, Amerlin equivalent back then. But as we'll talk about here soon, the Amerlin at that point didn't necessarily have the same amount of like straight power that they have now with the White Tower because the Hall had some bearing on what could and could not be done. But again, the Age of Legends was this utopian time, no violence, nothing like that. And then disaster struck. I was just going to say, I I don't know exact, like, exactly the shift there, but you talking about this paradise, as it were, and all these people who are very powerful yeah. being servants to all these other people, it's going to lead some of them, especially when they're living for 700 years, I would just imagine some of them would grow resentful of that and would want to have more power and because they... I can do all these things and these regular people can't do them. So why should I be serving them? They should be serving me. I feel like that may have come into play there. Well, what's funny about that is like it mentions how money didn't really matter, how nobody saw really personal glory because like what was really desirable was honor and reputation. And the only way to gain that was through service to others. So like, you were like, oh, I'm so jealous of you. I'll show you. I'll serve more soup today than you can. <laughs> and kind of like have <laughs> have like that battle for who can be the better person almost. But oh, what a world. Yeah, sounds crazy. But like you said, what goes up must come down. So what ended up happening here, and I don't know like if you know this part, because I don't remember if this is ever really mentioned in the main series. But uh, it talks about how the boar to the Dark One's prison was discovered during the Age of Legends. And so before mm -hmm. this time, the Dark One could not touch the world. And so it was actually Lanfear with a group of other researchers who discovered the Dark One's prison. Although at that time, Lanfear was going by the name Mirren. And she wasn't evil yet. But... How they found it is uh, Lanfear was looking for a, a something to get through the limitations of the One Power. Because at this point, you have Sidene, you have Sidar, which can only be touched by men and women respectively. But there were still limitations on what you could do with the power. You couldn't bring people back from the dead. And so Mirren, a.k.a. Landfear, was like, there has to be a way to get beyond these limitations. And so she was a researcher looking for a way to get beyond that. She thought she discovered this power that could be touched by both men and women. And she did. The trick, though, was it was the Dark One's power. 
So what they did is they didn't know that at the time. They drilled like a bore through like the fabric of time itself to this Mm. prison to like get Mm -hmm. at this source of energy they had discovered. And in doing so allowed uh, the dark one to be able to start touching reality. And once that happened, people started to grow envious. People started to uh, commit violence again. People forgot this utopian society and started to kind of go back to their baser hedonistic instincts. And this also uh, coincided with the first people pledging to the Dark One as, as a way to gain more power because that illusion of that utopian society was shattered. And they were like, oh, there is more. Because the Dark One comes promising gifts, including eternal life, including unlimited power. And so that was attractive to a lot of people. So you have the Dark One offering all this temptation out there. And although Lanfear was the first to discover it, she was not the first to go to the dark side. Um, She didn't go to the dark until later on when she was firmly rejected by Luce Theron because they were once lovers and Luce Theron decided to choose another woman to marry over her. Um, So you had this whole war of the power happen in which the Dreadlords and the Forsaken started to take over the world. They were like actively recruiting people in the world, like saying, hey, come join the dark side. And they would do that through torture, through compulsion, through forcibly making somebody swear allegiance to the dark and then holding them to their vows and slowly engulfing the world into like a world war equivalency between light and dark. So during this time as well, uh, Balefire was discovered. And Balefire is like the ultimate weapon within Wheel of Time because what it does is it erases people from the pattern. So it means that what might have what you might have done doesn't necessarily happen because you're killed, but you're beyond killed. You're erased from the pattern. So some of the good, some of the bad you may have done does not happen depending on how powerful the user is because you're just erased from that pattern there. So during the war of power, the forces of the dark were going out, like claiming over the land and everything like that. And Luce Theron was like, this has got to end. Like we're losing because the shadow was, was taking over more and more territory. And so Luce Theron came up with this plan to attack the Dark One himself and try to seal the boar, shut him away so he could no longer touch the world that we live in here. However, this plan was opposed by the female Aes Sedai because the female Aes Sedai were worried that if you tried to seal the Dark One's prison and you miscalculated it, instead of sealing it, it would tear it wide open and allow the Dark One to actually invade the world here. So, Lucerne had originally wanted a group of men and women to go with him, but with the women saying, no, time out, we're not going to do this, um, they opted to go 
with an all-male assault here. And so they did this because the plan that the women had come up with was to use two giant Sa-Angrial to try to combat the Dark One, which the counterpoint was using that much of the One Power could shatter the world and destroy the world. So Lucerne was like, okay, we're, we're ending this. We're taking this out. And so when him and his hundred companions got up to the Shale Ghoul, which is like the Dark One's main fortress, they, by surprise, caught all the Forsaken, like the 13 main Forsaken, in like a meeting of sorts with the Dark One. And so they were able to seal the boar, which encapsulated and imprisoned the Dark One and all 13 Forsaken within. But they were. this was a little bit of a price to pay for doing this because, Mike, what was the cost of sealing away the Dark One? Well, after that, they could no longer wear underwear <laughs> and they had to walk around with unicorn horns on their heads. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the blowback from sealing the Dark Lord's prison was that, and this is this actually brings a lot of context in why the female half wasn't affected this way, but the male half of the power was tainted. And so the Dark One kind of put like his vileness or his evil into that source of power. So when those men were using it, the men channel, male channelers who would use it would eventually go mad. And then they would destroy things. They might kill the ones they love. And it just led to, um, well, the next set of events. Yes. So the next set of events we're going to talk about is the breaking of the world. So like Mike had talked about there, the response from the Dark One was, you're going to seal me away? Well, I'm going to do one last vile trick on you. Make it so you cannot use the one power without going crazy. And this unfortunately led to the breaking of the world. So tell us a little bit about that, Mike. So um, the breaking of the world, the male I said I went crazy and the female I said I were trying to stop them. And um, because, you know, they these male I said I were all over the place and they were going mad and they were using the power as a weapon and destroying places, it completely re sort of remapped um, the world and it tore apart the civilization that they had left. And from that breaking, from the breaking of all these groups of people and stuff, eventually rose up new civilizations and new um, places where people would live. The female Aes Sedai gathered together and created Tarvalin. Um, and then you had new nations pop up as well. Right. And so one of the first instances you get of the breaking of the world is actually in the very first chapter of Eye of the World, the very first book in the Wheel of Time series here. And this is a little confusing to a lot of people when you first start reading the book, because what it does is it shows you just how much of a problem going crazy can be. And it introduces you to Luz Theron Telemond, who, while he was referred to as being the dragon, while he was the first among servants, after 
the events that transpire here, he gets a new title, a new name, and that is Luz Theron Kinslayer. So, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about the madness of Luz Theron and what happened with him? Yeah, I actually um, want to start with a question for you, though, because you talking about that made me think about this. Sure. In the beginning of The Eye of the World, um, you have one of the Forsaken show up to interact with Louis there and tell him on. Mm-hmm. Yes, Shamael. wasn't he already sealed away? So that was going to be a little bit I was going to go into towards the end of this here, was um, when the when Luce Theron and the Aes Sedai and the Hundred Companions tried to seal away the Forsaken and the Dark One, what ended up happening was certain Forsaken were at different levels within the ceiling. So you had somebody like Landfear or Demondred or Ravine that was farther down within the ceiling of the boar. And they were not touched by time. They were sealed away with the Dark One, everything like that. They weren't able to touch the world and get out. However, the one person that was not completely sealed away was Ishamael. And Ishamael... He is, he was kind of like caught in a limbo almost where he was partially sealed away, but not fully. So it talks about in this book I'm, I'm reading here how there was almost like a cycle to him being able to come out and touch the world every like 40 years or so. Ishamayel was able to kind of break free of his prison in Sheol Ghul. And, like, interact with the world. There were reports of people seeing him. Reports of people um, meeting somebody called Baal Zaman with eyes of fire and mouth of fire. Which is how Shamael is shown in the first couple uh, books for Wheel of Time. Um, however, again, he wasn't fully free. So he was still trapped within the boar. But he was partially free every so often and that's how he was able to kind of get out and see and interact with the world at multiple points in time oh wow so that makes a lot more sense now because i knew that they had been sealed away but i never had really questioned that at the beginning of the book that he was there and so you saying that makes a lot more sense and i'll be interested to see if in the tv show if they sort of bring his character in the beginning and sort of have him repeat that um, sort of pattern or have at least like maybe nods to it in some conversation. Um, so back to Lewis there and Telemond here or the Kinslayer. <laughs> Obviously he had been using the power and he had eventually gone mad. And in his madness, he ended up slaying his wife and his closest family and friends uh, that lived at kind of what I assumed his estate. And his children. So, like, he killed everybody that he was related to. Like, his wife, his family, his children, all of them. Yeah. And so they lived, they all lived on, I'd imagine, like, an estate or, like, this in this huge mansion or um, this area. And he murdered all of them. Unknowingly. Uh, that's important to say, yes. He unknowingly murdered all of them. And after that, um, we had Ishamael 
show up and um, basically wake him out of his craze and kind of talked with him and made him, made kin, the Kinslayer, the dragon, realize what he had done. And in his grief, realizing that he had just murdered his wife and their children and everyone he loved, everyone that was related to him, he soaked up as much of the one power as he could and just destroyed himself completely. Yeah. Um, and by doing that, caused a volcano to rise up where he had killed himself, which ends up becoming Kinslayer's Dagger, which is just out... That's the name of the uh, volcano, the mountain. And it's just outside of where Tarvalin um, comes to be. So it's also known as Dragon Mount. Yes. But Kinslayer da- Kinslayer's Dagger is the peak, the actual like volcanic part of Dragon Mount. Uh, Ashamael wanted... Luce Theron to know what he had done before he killed him. But Luce Theron didn't give him the satisfaction of letting him kill him while he was lucid. Instead, you know, sending out his own farewell to the world by uh, rising up that volcano and leaving his mark on it for ages to come. So when the story picks up, this is probably the most important part of all of what we just talked about is because that taint on Sidene is still there. The Dark One's retaliation, the Dark One's response, is still there. So any male channelers are being hunted down by the Red Aja, are being gentled, are not being allowed to run amok because they don't want a repeat of what happened during the Age of Legends, where the male Aes Sedai were able to cause havoc to the world, killing many, shaping new lands, all of that stuff is what the Red Aja is trying to prevent. Yeah, and so in the trailers we've seen so far, you see Loghain, who is a male channel user, and he's getting captured, and you just see the power he has, and um, that is what they're trying to prevent, and it and I, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but when they gentle these men, um, like if they gentled Loghain, they would cut them. They're basically severing their connection to the power. Yeah, they're basically making it so they can no longer reach out and touch Sidene. They can still sense that it's there, but they can no longer grab onto it. And that loss is really what leads a lot of gentled men or stilled women uh, to go and die because they can no longer grasp on to that life giving flow of the one power and they just lose all will to live after that yeah so uh one quick thing that i didn't bring up but i thought was kind of interesting is in the the book i'm reading as well it talks about every one of the forsaken and like what they were doing beforehand before they were evil, all that stuff. But the person I want to talk about of the Forsaken is a lesser known person who we might see in season one. I don't know, but his name is Agenor. And the reason why I want to bring up Agenor is because during the Age of Legends, Agenor was this famous biologist who did like as much as you could possibly do for the field of science and biology. At least all you could ethically do. And that is where his 
deception or his uh, dissension into the dark actually came from was he wanted to do more experiments that were deemed too radical, too crazy by the Hall of the Servants. And so he was basically told, stop it or we're going to get you out of here. And you'll no longer be able so to... So he wanted, he wanted to be a mad scientist. Yes, he wanted to be Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> and mm. he ended up becoming that because Agenor is the Forsaken who created the Trollocs, who created the Drakkar, who created the Gollum. And he was the one that basically created the Shadow Spawn and founded the Dark Ones armies that are still being fought to this very day. And that amalgamation of nightmares that we talked about with Trollocs being like part man, part animal, part different animal. And like the mind that came up with that was Agenor. And so I just thought, again, giving a shout out to our resident Dr. Frankenstein here in the Halloween season. I thought it was definitely worthwhile. That's pretty wild. Um, I did know that one of the Forsaken Agonar had created um, created those creatures, and they did mention how he had wanted to do experiments, but it was really cool to hear how his reasoning to join the Dark Forces wasn't for power, but it was more to just like continue flexing, like, I can create this. I don't want to have limits on myself. And so it almost sort of leads to a, kind of a lesson or, you know, thinking as just an educator, like a lesson you could learn from it is that we do need limits on what we can do because eventually as we continue to grow and try to break through these barriers, we're going to, it could lead us to making some awful decisions or some monstrosities. So Mike, we never actually got into where you are in your reading as well. Random transition, I know, but we're, we're doing it. So where are you at in the books now? So I finished uh, The Dragon Reborn, and then in, you had said you were going on to the world of Robert Jordan. I was like, well, I want to make sure that when Dylan starts the next book, <laughs> I'm either at, I'm at least a little bit ahead of him so like we can finish at the same time. Uh, so I started reading The Shadow Rising, which is book four, and it's actually one of my favorite books in the series because I think so much happens with um, some of our characters and you, you get a lot more of the world brought in um, and just, yeah, some cool transformations. I don't want to give too much up. No, I think that's smart as well. Because, uh, you know... <laughs> about How about you? I know we know you've been reading The World of Robert Jordan, which now makes me want to read it so badly. It's very interesting because, like, it goes into so much detail that you didn't necessarily know. And, like, I wrote down probably three pages of notes on the Age of Legends for this podcast here based on just, like, a 30-minute a chapter from it. So... I didn't get into everything that I took notes on, but that's okay. I don't, we don't need to hear all of that information, but I have roughly eight hours, actually exactly eight hours left in the world of Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan and Teresa Patterson. So I'll hopefully have this done by next week. Um, However, if I do not, then I will uh, get on to the Shadow Rising the week after. But we're getting dangerously close to 
the series getting out there and I am so excited about it. So what I want to do is for our next week's episode, episode number eight, I think we should come in and do a spoiler podcast where we each talk about what we think is going to happen in the series and just go in. And if you don't want to hear potential spoilers, then this might be one for you to skip out on. <laughs> and maybe what we'll do next week is we we can talk about any like any new trailers or anything released. We'll talk about those yeah. really briefly at the beginning, and then we'll just give a spoiler warning and then just go into it. But I am so excited. We just talked about Aganor kind of trying to moving into the dark to not have limits, and I'm excited to, <laughs> to take those limits off. <laughs> to take this leap. <laughs> But yeah, what we'll do is, like Mike said, we'll go in and do like any Wheel of Time news that comes out over the next week. And then what we'll do is we'll give a clear and definitive spoiler warning where from that point on, we'll talk about what we feel like is going to be coming down the pike for season one here based on both of us having read the books and just our personal predictions. I'm looking forward to the next episode now already. All right, man. So anything else you want to cover before we get on out of here? Yeah, just really quickly. um, There was a new teaser clip showed. It's called Moraine's Quest. It's up on YouTube. I know it's on Facebook and Twitter as well. I would highly suggest people checking that out, especially if you haven't um, read the series at all and you're a little confused about the plot line. It sort of goes over how Moraine is searching for the next dragon and they're not sure who it could be. And uh, because the dragon, Louis Theron Telamon in the past, has been reborn. And that does not mean, like, it's the same person. Right, right. It just means that sort of title and that power has been brought forward. Right. And so, like, the saying is that there's neither endings or beginnings in the Wheel of Time. And so certain great heroes are reborn age after age where, you know, you have somebody from several ages ago lose there in Telamon from the Age of Legends, who is a very important thread in the Wheel of Time. And so his time is coming around again. All right, with that, we will see you guys at the next turning of the wheel. Goodbye. Bye.